0: Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast, Tuesday, April 27th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman, the Magic, uh, with back-to-back losses over the weekend, Sunday and Monday, and losses beyond uh, the basketball floor as well. Steve Clifford comes down with COVID-19 and tests positive on Saturday. He's away from the team right now, Tyrone Corbin, uh, in as acting head coach, and then on Sunday, uh, just a devastating injury to Devin Kennedy uh, in the loss to the Indiana Pacers, an open fracture of his right ankle. Um, surgery Monday morning was successful. He is expected to make a full recovery. So, very good news there. But of course, um, our our best wishes and prayers for a speedy recovery go out to Devin. Uh, and we know he will uh, tackle this thing just like he has every other endeavor in his basketball career. And I'll be back out there uh, hooping, doing what he loves before we even know it. But uh, certainly a, a tough couple of days. And then Monday night, you know, the Lakers come in and the Magic gave a game effort for sure. Um, it was a 40 point second quarter, um, a lot of positives, certainly coming off the magic bench. I think you saw a lot of positive performances It was the best game. We've seen Chumo Kiki play, uh, in a while for sure. He made everything tough on Anthony Davis. Um, you know, the action and, and the uh, activity in the first half of that game is exactly what Steve Clifford from afar and Tyrone Corbin and the rest of the coaching staff going to be looking for, um, over the course of the final 11 games of the season, you, uh, you had a six-point halftime lead, and then the fourth quarter, it was really Dennis Schroeder, it was Montrezl Harrell, um, and AD. You, they just outperformed you down the stretch, and there's going to be games like that, but that was one of those games, like the Pacers game the night before, the Pelicans game last Thursday. Didn't really feel like the team got better. There wasn't much progress made, and even though it was a loss on Monday night against the Lakers, I think there were a lot of positives you can draw on um, coming out of that game. Cole Anthony played very well, 15 points, 7 assists, no turnovers. Cole's been playing quietly very well. Um, over the last week or two, and I say quietly, just because there's not wins to highlight. Uh, but I think you're seeing some good signs of development there. Um, I think you're seeing some good signs of development with Mobamba getting more consistent minutes. And now it's just a matter of putting it together and finishing strong over these final uh, 11 games or so. The wins are going to be sort of difficult to come by. We've said that basically since the trade deadline, but still a lot of work to be done and a lot of positives you can build on, especially with the young core playing right now. I mean, you know, Terrence Ross been out with back spasms. James Ennis been out with calf issue, uh, MCW, um, you know, basically Donald Porter Jr. Basically all of the veterans are banged up at this time of year. And, you know, it makes sense for the magic um, to get meaningful minutes for guys like Wendell and Cole and Chuma and uh, RJ and Moe um and then take some you know g- get a look at Robert Franks who was let go today um but played well yesterday and we'll see if you know the if the paths cross in the future as far as the magic organization and Robert Franks goes you bring in Mo Wagner for the rest of the year you're going to get a look at him so it's really about development it's about getting an idea of who can be a part of this thing long uh, long term moving forward and uh, and that's the key the rest of the way the magic at 18 wins now Uh, On the season. And so obviously you're going to keep an eye on the Detroit Pistons um, and on the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Houston Rockets, Um, the worst three teams in the league have the same lottery odds as far as the top pick goes. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult line to toe between wanting to win games and wanting to make sure you have the best lottery odds. Um, but I think you can do it if you if you play the young guys and if you win some games, then good. Then that's a positive no matter what. And also, if you finish with one of the worst three records in the league, um, then at the very least, you are setting yourself up for the best lottery odds, which um, is, you know, it's not something you want to pin all of your hopes to, but it's also um, a positive moving forward. And what we understand is a very strong draft. And, you know, you look around and um, Detroit won last night, Minnesota won last night. I mean, these teams are with their young cores are moving forward and finishing the season strong. And I think that's, um, that's not a bad thing either. You know, I, I think if the magic string together a couple wins and they end up with the fourth or fifth worst record um, when, when all is said and done, then that'll be a positive too, because you're winning with your young core and that's kind of what you're looking for uh, at this point of the season, regardless, it would be one thing if you had a whole bunch of veterans going out there that weren't going to be a part of this thing long-term and you're winning games, but this is, this is the future we're starting to see right now. The idea of R.J. Hampton getting this experience and Cole and Chuma, uh, and then you add in Markel and J.I. and draft picks next year, um, Wendell, obviously, Mo, Um, there's, there's a young core in place. So some wins coming down the stretch wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either um, because they would be wins with guys like R.J. and Cole and Chuma playing heavy minutes. Hey, Magic fans, the Florida Department of Transportation reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. Instead, find a sober driver or catch a ride service. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Have a great day and drive safe. And my guest this week for the Magic Weekly Podcast, uh, one of the veteran leaders, I would say, of Cavaliers Twitter. Except you won't see him slapping an inbound bounce pass back towards the referee. Uh, I don't <laughs> think at any point um, he is the co-host of the Chase Down Podcast. Now um, officially affiliated with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he is on Twitter at Cavs Anida. Anida. How do you say that?
1: It it looks so much better in writing, man. (laughs) Cavs Anida is a good way to approach it. Uh, But yeah, it's one of those things that looks a million times better in writing, but out loud can get a little bit tricky.
0: Justin Rowan is my guest. There's an old Dimitri Martin joke about spelling banana and how he never knows when he's finished. But I (laughs) don't (laughs) know.
1: That's what what I think. The A's and N's go on forever, man. Well, Jake, thank you so much for having me back. I I, I really appreciate it. I don't remember. I think I don't remember if the last time we talked was
0: uh, via podcast form or when I was with 923 the fan in Cleveland, but Mm -hmm. uh, we have corresponded uh, virtually. Have you ever met Carter? Have you met Carter yet?
1: Not yet in person. That's no, uh, that, that is still uh, to be done a, at some point. Uh, we, we thought we were getting close last time I visited Cleveland, uh, but he had a very pregnant wife that he had just uh, left uh, for the weekend uh, for a work trip. So that didn't pan out, and uh, the border's been closed pretty much ever since. So, oh, yeah, I forgot uh, about that. We will, uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. I, I'm, I'm confident in that. Um,
0: I, I want to talk Cavs. I want to talk rebuilding. I want to talk magic. But I want to talk, I mean, I think your story is so interesting for young podcasters, for people in um, the podcast space, especially sports related. Will you just walk me through who you are, <laughs> where, <laughs> where, where, where you're from, and how you got, um, how you built up the Chase Down podcast to where it is, uh, where, what was it, a, a couple months ago, um, the Cavaliers brought you guys on?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it. But uh, yeah, basically, uh, I'm from Winnipeg, uh, born and raised, um, just grew up becoming a a Cavs fan, stuck with it. Uh, through the decision, I actually became more of a cast fan. That's when I started writing at Fear the Sword. And I, I just noticed that there really was kind of a, a space where th- there wasn't a lot of podcast coverage for the team. Uh, it was something that I, I wanted to listen to. And because it didn't exist, I thought, hey, why not go out there and kind of make the podcast that I want to hear it? Uh, we we try to keep everything fun um and keep things in perspective uh we never want to forget that sports is supposed to be escapism so trying to keep everything through that lens uh I'm certainly not the smartest guy out there but I I like to think that we at least facilitate fun and interesting conversation and that's kind of the uh the goal of the podcast
0: you guys do you do a phenomenal job with that um so it started with SB Nation it was just you and Carter kind of ran how did you hook up with him Carter Rodriguez is who I'm referring to for the way.
1: So, yeah, Carter also uh, was writing a Fear the Sword at the time. And the podcast started off independent. Uh, We we just started our own thing. And uh, from there, uh, we hooked up with the uh, Almighty Baller Network at the time. Uh, After that, we got approached by Jade Hoy uh, to join Leverage the Chat. Uh, That went on for a few months. Uh, Then that organization dissolved and eventually became count the dings but uh, at that point LeBron was out of the mix and uh, I think a Cavs podcast was a little less interesting uh, and then eventually we got approached by Blue Wire uh, we went back to independent uh, where we were basically uh, just we had a Patreon page uh, to help kind of cover the overhead and whatnot but uh, we got approached by Blue Wire and we're there for a few years before the Cavs reached out to us which was uh, let me I'll just say a, a bit of a surprise uh, it's Definitely been a surreal experience.
0: There wasn't much of a market during the Dion Waiters years.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, no, when we uh, left that, that was uh, after 2018. Oh, okay, Uh, all right, yeah. yeah. So it's more
0: recent. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So for the um, for the early (laughs) Colin Sexton era, Um, and so and so then, so how did this like? I mean, the 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 Cavs bringing you guys on is. Um, very clearly, you know, it, it goes back to, and the Washington post piece is really good. I think, um, it goes back to grind city. I mean, the, the Grizzlies have been doing this now for, for five years, creating content in house and we do something similar, uh, here at the magic. I don't think it's necessarily as big as what they do in Memphis. Um, but how did like, what, like, did you just get an email one day? Like, Hey, uh, I'm the head of digital for the cabs and we want to bring <laughs> you guys on. Is that how it happened?
1: Yeah, I pretty much got a uh, DM asking me if I would be available for a meeting and then uh, just follow up meetings over the course of several months, um, just kind of talking about the the vision and kind of what they, uh, how they anticipated us fitting in. And we, we've been really lucky. Like we're, it's now two and a half months basically that we've officially been with the team, but obviously we were on the radar a little bit longer than that. Um, but they've given us so much uh, creative freedom um, allowing us to continue to do what we've done. And uh, we recently got a, a compliment from uh, one of our listeners that I, I guess they said that they had a little bit of trepidation that the show would change a whole lot uh, with partnering with the Cavs. And that hasn't been the case. And uh, we, we were really confident that that was going to be the case, that it would enhance what we were doing. Um, but to see that actually come to fruition has been, uh, it's been a blessing.
0: Are there, Is the resources, have the resources changed at all? Or is it basically just, you know, the same show and and kind of repackaged?
1: Uh, same show repackaged, uh, obviously from a resource standpoint in, in terms of booking guests and, and things like that. And, and kind of if we want to do something creative, we have that uh, support uh, is something that is really valuable. Like even getting our show up live on YouTube now, uh, which we do on the Cavs YouTube channel. That was something that we had wanted to do. Uh, but actually having that support has made a huge difference for that.
0: Because this could, like you and Carter meeting, in Cleveland, like that's going to be a great content opportunity. I mean, they, oh, they, they absolutely they have to we, blow we,
1: that thing up. <laughs> absolutely. We, we got to uh, make sure that we're uh, capturing that moment. What what struggles did you have sort of over the years
0: with like the tech of it? Because to me, even, and, and I've got resources with the magic, but, you know, RSS feeds and uh, marketing and promo, and all of those things can be really difficult. And I would think, especially when you're on your own and you're just sort of getting started. I realized with, you know, SB Nation and Blue Wire, um, there are, you know, there are networks and there's, there, there, there are resources to access. Um, but I think for young people trying to move into this space and trying to, uh, to accomplish some of the things that you guys have done, it can be really daunting.
1: Yeah, I, I would say just reach is the, the most difficult thing, right? Yeah. Because they, it, the podcast space is such a saturated market, right. uh, even more so now uh, than, than when we first started up. Um, and you can like, my, my focus has always just been on developing good content, like be because I, I do have a day job and a career that I really enjoy that this has been kind of a side passion project for me. And that has kind of given me some freedom. I, I, I almost wonder if we would be as successful if I was career minded that I, I wanted to make mm. this a, a full-time thing. Um, because it, you approach things a little differently maybe the interactions you have with your peers uh you start to become a little more competitive with them and whatnot and what i've found the most important thing is just networking like making the most of every single interaction you have with people uh trying to be of use to them because just that relationship building to me it's so fulfilling and it's created opportunities like getting to know people and uh working alongside them having them on the podcast like all of that stuff helps increase your reach because their audience will listen to that episode and and hopefully you have some stickiness there where people want to check out more of what you're doing and uh to me that that's the most rewarding part of this is just all the different relationships i've made along the way yeah, and uh, content is king. I mean,
0: that is that's an old radio sort of mantra, and I think I think it's probably good advice to anybody. Like, if you just focus on creating good content, and it's going to um, perpetuate itself, and you're gonna um, you if you build, build it, they will come. You build, it, they will come. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think the you know I've I've worked with the Pistons. I've covered the Cavs loosely, um, but I wasn't really affiliated with the team. But I was when I was in Cleveland. I was affiliated with the Browns as well as part of their flagship station. And then I've worked straight up for the magic. So I've had kind of varying degrees of um, creative control or lack thereof, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's really interesting. Like, you know, you, you mentioned that the, the Cavs have been really good. Um, the Washington Post piece said, you know, just nothing personal is basically you can say whatever you want to say. You just, you just don't be personal. And I've heard the exact same thing for basically everybody. Uh, Pistons, Browns, Magic. Something like the Kevin Love incident last night, Justin, mm-hmm. um, where it's a tight game with the Raptors, late third quarter. He's frustrated um, by an official, quote-unquote G League official. It's quote-unquote, he is a G League official, and there have been inconsistencies with the officiating around the league. Um, but I think it's – and I think you guys are potting tonight, right? Like, it, yeah. this is going to be kind of an interesting litmus test with a guy like Kevin Love who, look, like, you know, he's important to the Cavaliers organization. He's important to the city of Cleveland. Um, he is the veteran leader on that team. And yet you can't pull that crap that he did last night. Like, I'm kind of anxious to see, you know, are you going to come out guns blazing? Um, <laughs> are you going to sort of, you know, are you going to sort of uh, uh, tiptoe around it? I think it's an interesting sort of, a, a sort of test for you.
1: Well, way to peel back the uh, the curtain as I uh, prep for the show. And that's obviously going to be one of those topics. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's an interesting situation because I, I think historically, you look at the last couple of years, there have been public outbursts from Kevin Love yeah. where he's admitted, hey, I didn't handle that situation properly, especially as a leader. And last night was no different. That, that was something that he came out and said. Um, I think it's inevitable that once that clip goes viral, that people are always going to tie it to the the situation in Cleveland and kind of those larger narratives rather than what was happening in the moment, which was a couple of no calls in a row. He had just got slammed into the stanchion. It was still a tight game, which I, I think people just assume because it's the Cavs that they were getting blown out. And the the ball was thrown to him. He smacked it. Uh, he, I guess he wasn't ready for the the referee to throw that bullet pass. I mean, it's pretty clear that that was not the right way to handle that situation. And you have to acknowledge both the fact that the young guys will admit to Kevin love being a big part of their development and being a strong presence in the locker room. And then the flip side of that coin, which is these poor moments where he, he didn't handle it uh, the way that a leader needs to. So I, I think you can bring up both of those points and, and it's something that's kind of hard to deny, right? Like he, he needs to be better. He, he needs to, to set a better example because uh, especially in a close game where it was a two-possession game and that mistake turned into a three, uh, that that very well could have impacted the outcome.
0: All right, here's my fastball. Does, does helping development justify the contract in his case? That,
1: that's a tricky... I, I don't know if it would necessarily justify the contract. At the same time you have to understand that as a rebuilding market, I don't know what you would really be doing with cap space. Like I I don't know if you would necessarily bring in um, guys that would fulfill that role. And I I think that the Cavs learned from the post decision era of you need to have adults in the room, right? Like there was a massive learning curve when LeBron came back because so many of the guys that were there didn't build those proper habits. And I, I think one positive sign is that the young players continue to improve in Cleveland. Uh, They credit guys like Larry Nance, Kevin Love, and other veterans for playing a role in that. Um, So while obviously he's not necessarily living up to that contract and the, the injuries have been a big part of that. And that factors into the hindsight uh, analysis of that. uh, At the same time, I don't know how much of an opportunity cost there was. And I, to me, that's the most important thing because um, like I, I just don't know where you'd be spending that money otherwise at, at this time.
0: Yeah, I. Um, it's really tricky, and it's something that applies to the Magic as well. Now it's a little different because I think at this point in their careers, uh, Nikola Vucevic is uh, is a better player um, mm-hmm. than Kevin Love. But with that said, you know a lot of the talk when when the Magic decided to sort of quote unquote blow things up was at the very least, you know, if we're bringing in young players and you've got an all-star caliber center in Nikola Vucevic at 30 years old, then he's going to he's going to help in the mini rebuild, right? And I'm right. sitting there going, well, is that fair to Nikola Vucevic at 30 years old to say, hey, we're, we're trading away Aaron, we're trading away Evan, we're bringing in youth, um, it's a two- to three-year plan, and we need you to, to help develop young guards in years 30, 31 and 32 um, of your career during your prime.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: it's not quite the exact same thing with Kevin because I, I think he's a little beyond that. Um, but you know, with that said, I think it's, you know, if he's on board for it, then it's one thing. Um, but I, I think it's almost like you need a good player to be the veteran leader, but he can't be that good. He can't be like all-star caliber <laughs> good. He needs to be maybe like Larry Nance Jr. type good. Um, I don't know. It's a tricky thing. And I think it's really interesting, but I think the one thing we all know is that you can't do the hinky Sixers and just have a bunch of kids running around, um, right. or even the post, uh, post LeBron Cavs, like, like that's not going to work no matter what.
1: And I think part of the the reason for for frustration, and I understand it from his perspective, is last season he only missed seven games. Like he played the majority of last season and was good for the Cavs last year. This season gets hurt right away, misses basically the the first three quarters of this season. The Cavs first quarter of the season, they're in the playoffs. Like they were in up there in the standings. It was the most fun stretch that there's been in Cleveland since LeBron left. And he wasn't able to take part of that. He wasn't able to contribute to that. Mm. And I, I think the, the fact that things are finally starting to turn around and he hasn't been able to become part of it. And by the time he does come back, he's still working his way into shape Uh, because he's been dealing with that Achilles quad injury and just hasn't been himself. I think there's a level of frustration because, hey, these young guys that I've been waiting for are finally contributing at a a winning level, and my body is betraying me. I'm not able to be a part of that. Uh, This team's probably better than their record if guys like Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. uh, were healthy for the entire season, So that has to contribute to some of the frustration, especially as he's coming back is basically as they're falling out of that play in spot. Um, I I definitely understand kind of the cumulative effect of that. So there are two sides to it. But at the same time, that moment can happen. You have to understand the optics of it. You have to understand your responsibility as a leader. Um, So there there's two sides of it. It's not as cut and dry as, Hey, he's just flipping out over the situation. I get where it's coming from. It just needs to be handled better than that.
0: No, I think that's fair. And I, and and Kevin's really strange because he's, he's clearly like a great guy and he's clearly a guy that you want around 98% Mm -hmm. of the time. But then he also, he sort of can have those frustrating moments and it's like, you know, what kind of a standard are we holding him up to? Like, Oh, it's oh he's a, a superstar player, an ex superstar player, I guess, um, who, who who gets frustrated and, and does something wrong in the middle of a random game. Like everybody does that. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's, I think people are like, well, but there's kid, he's the, you know, he's the professor, and there's a bunch of kids running around. He's setting a bad example. Well, if LeBron did something similar, we'd be over it within about 24 hours. Kevin yeah. Love is not LeBron. We understand that. Um, but it's probably he's probably held a bit to an unfair standard, um, all things considered. In the mm-hmm. beginning of the season, Justin. Like, what changed? It was it Sexton's uh, percentages falling off? I mean, that you, Cavs were hot, man. Like, I, I saw them; they were playing very, very good basketball. They're playing together. I realized injuries happened. I realized maybe they were, you know, out over their skis a little bit, and water just sort of found its level. If you want some mixed metaphors, yeah. Um but, but it was. It, it feels like things kind of went sideways, and and I can't quite pinpoint why. What can you?
1: Yeah, well, on the podcast, we were talking about it as it was happening of, hey, wait for February because things are going to fall apart. Look, mm-hmm. look at the schedule in February. I'm looking at it right now. Holy smokes. Yeah, it, it was not fun, and they're about to have another one of those stretches in May. Um, but February's schedule was just an absolute ugh, Like, it, it's a blow this road trip, stomach.
0: Justin, this yeah. road trip is insane. Phoenix, Denver, Portland, Clippers, Golden State. Uh, yeah, that'll that that will be rough. Oh, and, and uh, back to back before Milwaukee, uh, before the trip against Milwaukee, that was yep. yeah. I'm sure that yep. will
1: And work. and to, to make matters worse, right prior to that was the Jared Allen trade, which Andre Drummond at, at that point the the level of buy in dropped off because there there was an understanding that he was no longer part of the team's future plans. Uh, that Jared Allen was going to be that future guy for them at that position. Uh, Larry Nance, um, he, he had an injury that took him out for several weeks right as they hit that February stretch. So you no longer have the buy-in from Drummond. You no longer have Nance, who is probably one of their most impactful players. Uh, plus they had stretches where they, didn't, they would go a week or two without any guards being active in the lineup. They had all guards wiped out with injuries. Sexton Garland, uh, Damian Dotson missed time. Um, Dante Axum was out. Delhi was out. Um, they, they just didn't have anybody. So they had to run three, four center lineups. Uh, then they've had stretches this season where the entire power forward position has been wiped out with injuries. They've had uh, games playing without a center because they've been wiped out with injuries. So are
0: speaking my language now, bro. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it's been the year for us all season.
1: And, and it's been the, the year for a lot of the league, right? Yeah. Like it's so hard to look at any of the results and draw conclusions from it just because this has been such a taxing season for so much of the league. But uh, what what it was more than anything was the schedule turnaround around at the worst possible time and not having those vets available to help you go through that caused them to not be able to to steal a game here or there, right? So um, it, it was predictable. Uh, I, I, I feel like we've had a really good read on the podcast. Uh, we, an, another comment we had got was that it was annoying that we were bringing it up uh, in January that, Hey, once February hits, things are going to be bad for the calves. Don't worry about this team winning too much because that's going to solve itself pretty organically. Uh, but then when it happens, everyone freaks out saying, Hey, uh, w- what's going on here? Like, uh, what, why, why are you excited when the team is losing? Well, I'm excited because they're still on a good path, and this was a very predictable <laughs> occurrence
0: how How do you deal with that with the want to lose like i don't know it's weird for us as team broadcasters like you know I'll say tanking and and I'll still feel weird about it like i'm mm-hmm. like I'm going to get reprimanded immediately and and you know. Um, my bosses are not you know they're comfortable with it they understand what the deal is but we but nobody wants to go out there as a team broadcaster and be like yeah hopefully we play really well and lose by eight tonight to the lakers which is you know the ideal situation just play a good game but hopefully the pistons win and we stay at 18 wins for the season um is that do you struggle with like with balancing that when you're talking about like ideally and sometimes I think people don't even understand this. If you have a young core in place like the Cavaliers do mm-hmm. um, like the magic now do, then you want to win games. I don't care if you're talking about Cade Cunningham or not. If RJ Hampton and Wendell Carter Jr. And Mo Bamba go on a 10 game winning streak, then forget Cade Cunningham. We've got something in place here. Um, and maybe that's a little nearsighted. And I realize that Cade Cunningham is, um, is, you know, a, a really, really good prospect, but like, it, I, I don't know, I, I, the idea of we need to lose now, even if we have young players who are going to be here for a long time, in order to get a better shot at the unknown, when the idea in the long run is to win games in the first place, then it's like, it, it just doesn't necessarily make sense to me that, that, that people want that um, in place of, of, of what's happening right now. If you've got Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and they're balling out and they're winning a lot of games, then forget everything else. That's what we want,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. And, and that's been my approach. I, I'm not somebody that believes tanking works. Yeah. Um, you, you look at the examples and basically the only team that's made a conference finals as a result of tanking was the Oklahoma City Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, that was under the old rules, the, the old draft lottery odds. And under these new odds. It's pretty even. And you look at even the, the play-in teams in the East, they still have a decent chance of jumping up into that top four. So this season, I've been advocating for, hey, they should be trying to win every single game because this is a team that's starting four guys under 22. Yeah. And those guys don't win games in the NBA. You're not, like, it is unrealistic to expect them to. And if they did, as you mentioned, then you have something because we're, we're talking about guys that were picked hot, like Colin Sexton. Yeah, he was picked at eight, but he's evolved into someone that's playing at a pretty much all-star level, averaging 25 points per game, uh, four assists a game uh, as a shooting guard. That's great. Darius Garland is playing really well. Jared Allen is a known commodity a proven commodity at center. Isaac O'Coro is promising. So if those are, those guys are the reason that you get to that plan, That's a great thing. They they should be learning how to develop winning habits. The more close games they're in, the more usable game film that you have. Because when they make a mistake in a close game on the defensive end, that's something you can analyze. Okay, what were you thinking? Um, This is an adjustment you can make for the next game. When you blow a defensive coverage down 30 uh, in the middle of the season, and the organization has made a, a point of benching all the veterans, benching Al Horford, or, or whatever the case may be. You can say, "Oh, we're not playing for anything, anyways." Like uh, once once we're good, I'll, I'll start trying on defense. That's that's not how things work. So I've always been advocating for that. And what I've told people uh, that that wanted to to lose and tank and whatnot is, "Hey, don't worry about the odds because this team is too young to win at that kind of a level. They're going to have a good shot." under this new draft lottery odds in all likelihood. And that's the way that this season has played out. So I am someone like, I I understand that a high pick is the best way to add value uh, in the league. But the the reality is you get the worst record in the league. You have a 14% chance at number one, you have a 48% chance of picking five. That's like you, that's not worth sacrificing the development of young players over when you could, focus on player development, win a few more games, have a a more entertaining product on the court, and you're still probably going to have about a 10% chance of picking first overall. Like, that's basically where the Cavs are at. And to me, that 4% difference is not enough to justify abandoning the development of the young players.
0: Not to mention, like, in years past, it it was always the top pick was the guy who was in the finals, right? There was that crazy stat forever about um, it was, you know, I know Mike was in the Top pick, but Jordan, Jordan Shaq and Duncan, you know, won eighteen of twenty finals or something like that in a row. Well, now you look across the league, you know, Jokic is in the second round, Giannis was mid first round. Like it doesn't have to be a top three pick in yeah. order to get a franchise altering superstar. Um, and and so I think that, you know, you you can figure out a way to sort of toe that line. Like Detroit is a, probably a really good example. Detroit knew that they were going to have to take a step back, whatever. But they hit on their first-round picks. They, they added picks. They had three of them. None of them were top-five picks. And now, at the very least, like, yeah, they're you know they're bad again. Um, but that team plays really hard. They, they're really excited about the Pistons for the first time in Detroit in about a decade um, because of a guy like Isaiah Stewart, for crying out loud, who just sort of embodies the, the city and plays really hard every night. And they've mm-hmm. got something, and it's just because they hit on draft picks, not because they bottomed out for three straight years and added picks like Oklahoma City did. And then you contrast it with Oklahoma City's with what Oklahoma City's doing this year, and I'm like, you know, they're basically doing the hanky Sixers. Like, look at the guys they're trotting out right now. The Al Horford thing is an abomination, in my opinion. But like, Agreed. how if I'm a Thunder fan, I mean, like Poku's fun, fine. He's four years away, right? Probably. And then, I mean, some of these guys, like they're very deliberately playing, you know, Ty Jerome 31 minutes a night uh, or I, I whatever.
1: Think, I think Thunder fans are excited about it because they haven't been through the new lottery process just yet. <laughs> yeah, like, right. I, I, I think that's re- really is. They're envisioning Harden
0: and Durant and Westbrook again.
1: Yeah, it, that's, that's just not the way it is. And, and you, you brought up some examples of, of teams that have been good without high picks. Utah, Toronto, Miami, like all those teams have guys that weren't picked in the top 10 as their core, right? Like... Um, it's yes, adding a top talent is the easiest way to get to that level, but doing that for multiple years in a row via the lottery is next to impossible. And it's not the only way, right? Like if you focus on developing the talent that you have and making the most of every single pick you have, you're able to consolidate that talent at some point. You you can go out there and trade for a disgruntled star. Maybe you drafted guys that are only good enough to be the second and third option on a title team. But you have like several of those guys. So, like that—that yeah. that might be what the Cavs face in a couple of years. If you develop enough of those guys, you can cash a couple of those guys in with future picks and trade for a star. You can do what Toronto did, uh, getting Kawhi Leonard. Exactly, right? Like There's enough examples of that, and that's a more reliable path because the teams that are consistently good find value everywhere in the draft. They develop those guys to whatever their ceilings are. And even if those ceilings aren't as high, they find ways to raise the overall cupboard of assets that they have and get it to a point where they have the ability to get into those negotiations.
0: That's interesting. Hell look at golden state. I mean, you know, you added through various parts of the first round, three, you know, franchise cornerstones and, mm-hmm. and then it all clicks and then you can, yeah. Draymond was there. the second round. Exactly. Oh yeah. He was top of the second round. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, I want to go back. Is Andre Drummond good? I think so. When, when he's bought in, I mean, he, two months off is obviously going to impact his ability to play well for the Lakers right off the bat. Um, getting hurt in his first game certainly didn't help. I do think that he can be impactful. He was a big part of the Cavs being good at the start of the season. Right. Um, but it's about buy in, right? Like it's. It's one of those situations where you wonder if earlier in his development you you had people in his ear kind of getting him to that ideal role, would he be a more impactful player? Um, He was playing very good defense, uh, drop in drop coverage for the Cavs to to start the season. Um, But then. As the situation changed, and once again, that human element coming into place where you see your replacement, you're playing alongside him. Some fans are already pining for him to start over you, and Jared Allen probably was a better fit uh, for what the Cavs were trying to do. You're naturally not going to do all the little things. You're not going to die for loose balls. You, you, you might be a little later with your rotations. And um, I, I think once everything settles into place with the Lakers – he's going to be someone that that might surprise people in the playoffs. Like, I I think he could have a positive impact. The other thing is, the Lakers are probably the first situation where they had the cachet where he understands he's not the best player there. Mm. Like, you probably arguable between him and Kevin Love. I would have argued that Drummond was the better player. Um, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, unproven young players. Uh, In in Detroit, he was that guy that got them into the playoffs. He got an all-NBA spot. Uh, with not a lot of talent around him. Blake Griffin comes, but Blake's not really healthy. This is the first situation where it's very clearly not his team, and and there's a leadership structure in place. So I'm interested to see if that has a positive impact on him once LeBron and AD are back and in the, the mix, because you know LeBron is going to make guys look better. He's going to get everybody into their best possible situations, and I, I do think that there might be some surprises for people that expect him to just be a net negative. I, I don't think he's going to be that in the playoffs.
0: He's so weird because the net is the key part of it, right? Because there's a, always a whole lot of good, and then there's usually some bad as well. And it's like, well, did he help <laughs> when you look yeah. back on it? And the postseason is going to be fascinating. I mean, we, we just had him in last night. And, of course, LeBron's not back yet. Um, but they're getting, they're getting back to fully healthy and they're so big, Justin. Like, seeing them in person, it's just like, oh, yeah, Kuzma's 6'10". Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, when they get LeBron back. I, like, it's just it, – it's a huge team. And I'm going, like, Harrell is – I mean, Harold just killed us. last. He killed Mo Bamba very specifically. Like, he went over, around, and mostly through Mo Bamba last night. And – which, you know, I could go through Mo Bamba. He's a skinny guy. But, <laughs> but, like, boy, that guy, I mean – so you talk about net, like most of the time it's all positive. And then every once in a while, he's going to, you know, get a technical or do something stupid, but like he is, I mean, that guy burns hot and I'm sitting there going, man, in the postseason, I want him on the floor and crunch time. I know they're going to use him probably still in, in a six man role. Um, but in, in a tight playoff series, I want that guy on the floor. I know obviously AD and LeBron are going to be on the floor. And I think they need Kuzma on the floor for spacing. Um, there's not much room for Drummond. Mm-hmm. Now you know maybe they use Harold the way I described, and so Harold's checking out with four or six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then Drummond's coming in to finish the game off. I think Vogel's got some tough decisions, and it I can't be a thing like last year where you say, "Hey Dwight, you're not going to play this series, but stay ready. We need you for the next series." Drummond, I don't think you can tell Andre Drummond you're not going to play for six straight playoff games, um, but stay ready. And I don't think they'll try that anyways. But it's gonna. I think it it could get really tricky when you just think about. Um, the different options he has and who's going to be playing in crunch time.
1: Yeah. And I think it's going to be a little situational. Like I don't think you yeah. can outright sit him, uh, but there might be certain games where, Hey, we're just closing with 80 at the five. And um, I do think just the nature of his situation being a buyout guy in order to cash in and get another payday this summer, I think, there's, he understands that there needs to be that level of buy-in where, hey, if I make some sacrifices now, uh, th- this is a really short-term thing, but it's going to reflect positively on me as I approach free agency, and I, I think that that added incentive is going to help smooth that situation out, but I, I agree that Vogel's got a really tough decision, uh, a lot of it's going to be kind of matchup dependent, but uh, there's certainly going to be opportunities for him where he does have a positive matchup where it, it is advantageous for them to play Drummond. And I, I think in those moments, he, he's likely going to shine.
0: And I actually think, look, Andre's a good kid, and, and I hate beating up on him. But I also, you know, I've watched him allow players to take him out of his game almost throughout his career. So I do think having a guy like Harrell might be good um, because those are the guys who always sort of, you know, if you, if you rough Andre up, you're going to take him out of his game. He's going to commit a dumb foul. He's not going to get back on defense. He's going to argue with the refs. Um, so, you know, being with LeBron, being, having sort of that, a uh, situation that you referred to where it's you're not at the top of the pecking order and you have something to prove um, because you've got a, a, a contract coming up. I think that'll help them long-term. Um, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but I do want to just get your thoughts on, on Garland, on Sexton, on Okoro, just the future. Um, Garland's having a hell of a month. It looks like Sexton is too. I mean, those guys, uh, it it feels like are two really good young players I think there's still some consternation about whether or not you can build around them together, mm-hmm. um, and I and to me that's kind of dumb. Like it's 2021, you need you need creators and you need them together often um, on the floor. What's your what's your take on the young core and what the future looks like?
1: See, I, I'm really high on the guys that they picked. Um, these have been players that even in the draft process that I really wanted, with the exception of Colin Sexton. Sexton, I was completely out on. I wanted Mikhail Bridges or uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, obviously, Shea not wanting to play in Cleveland and, and telling them as much that it wouldn't work out for them and whatnot, not impact that decision. Um, and all three of those guys, Sexton, Bridges, and Shea, have far exceeded my expectations. Uh, Sexton um, turning into an off-ball player this season has been one of the more positive things that... Um, I, I can think of for his development because if you can be this kind of a scorer where you're scoring nearly 25 points per game uh, off ball without being ball dominant, you can fit into almost any situation. And yeah, obviously there's going to be some long-term concerns with Garland and Sexton on the defensive end of the floor uh, point of attack when you're starting two guys, 6-1. Even though they're trying on defense and Garland can be a good positional defender and Sexton sometimes plays good individual defense, you're giving up size, right? But for right now, it's not like they have a better option. It's not like you're going to start Dylan Windler at the two just because he's six 6'7", uh, and you just want that height, right? Um, even now, looking at it, the grouping of Garland, Sexton, and Okoro has a better defensive rating than Garland, Okoro, and Torian Prince uh, as one of the other possible options there. Mm-hmm. And unless you don't think that Colin Sexton should be playing 30 minutes a night, it's important for him to learn how to play with Garland because as much as you can stagger them, if they're both playing 32 minutes a night, 16 of those minutes have to come together. Right. Like it's mathematically impossible. So them learning how to play with one another is super important. Um, I'm of the belief that Garland can be, and is now showing that he's a franchise point guard. Like I, I do think that uh, he's justifying kind of that pre-draft analysis that he was in that John Morant, RJ Barrett tier and, and you look at this past month where he, he's basically averaging like twenty three and seven, uh, really efficient, really creative passer. Um, the, the assists don't even tell the full story because so often he's getting guys to the line because he, he's drawn in the defense and they're scrambling we to. We a to stat fight. for
0: that. How would I, I think?
1: I think B ball index uh, ha- has a, a stat for that because it, they don't char- they don't count as a potential assist uh, unless there's a. a field goal made on a foul uh, because otherwise it's not counted as a field goal attempt. So that's kind of tricky, but um, some, you know what, some things you just can't quantify in stats. And and when you watch them play, it jumps off the, the screen. Obviously right now, a little bit of a tough situation. Half the team's out. Uh, Colin Sexton out with a concussion. Maybe he'll play uh, against the Magic. Got my fingers crossed there. Uh, Nance, done for the year. A broken hand. That sucks. Uh, he, he's had a really, really bad season He, uh, in terms of injuries and, and ailments. He, he had just come back uh, from missing a couple weeks because he, he got a mystery illness that they couldn't diagnose. He lost nearly 20 pounds in a week. Jeez. Um so he, he's just, like, it hasn't been a, a fun ride for them. Um, but you know what? Like, I, I do think that the future's bright. Like, Garland, Sexton, Okoro, and Allen fit together really well. You look at this draft, it's full of forwards that can kind of play that 3-4 position, those wing playmakers. So um, I, I do think that the the future is bright in Cleveland. And if I had to predict, I, I think they're going to be either a play-in or a play-off team next season. Um, but when you're this young, you're, you're going to go through some growing pains. And I, I think the fact that they're doing that this season is a big positive.
0: No, I think Kobe's done a phenomenal job uh, the entire time. I mean, you can go through and cherry pick and I know like people are, oh, the Kevin Porter jr. Like stop. Like that's if, if you really think that that was going to work and then you want to hold that to Kobe Altman, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, if you go back and you go through it, like, yeah, and nobody hits on every draft pick, but the big ones he has hit on. Um, and I guess in the last thing, and, and I just want your take on this. You know, Colin is so he's so interesting because he's grown so much. I mean, I was there for his rookie season, and I was watching him going, "Okay, there's something here, but it's going to be a while." And I think in, in scouts in Detroit, when I was there, used to tell me this: you know, when in doubt, just take the guy who you can't get out of the gym. Like that's it, it's so it's very simple. But if you have two guys, and because these are 19 year old kids, we're projecting no matter what you've got two guys who are you know similar talent similar talent wise and one of them is is just an absolute dog and he eats sleep's breeze basketball take that guy it seems very self evident but like it but people make that mistake all the time you you draft guys because they're big or you draft guys because, oh, wow, the, you know, nobody has this sort of God-given ability. Well, do they love basketball? Because Colin Sexton very clearly, like, the best thing about him is that he works his ass off. And I just mm-hmm. think I, I don't realize why people, um, why, you know, GMs and, and front offices make the same mistake over and over again.
1: Honestly, I minimized it. Like, when he was coming in, uh, the scouting report was, this is a pick-and-roll point guard that can't shoot, the, but he plays defense. And you look at him in his rookie year, really struggled early on, developed a jump shot, de- developed a three-point shot just out of sheer force of will. And it, yeah. it's clear that it's like just a different level of work ethic. Like I, I thought it was just kind of the, the typical talk that anytime you draft someone the Raw, you always hear how they're a gym rat and whatever, and this is clearly a different level of that. And I think one of the smart things that they've done in their drafting process is everyone they've brought in has connections to Kobe Altman through Team USA. Mm. Um, the, all, all of those guys have taken part in that. Isaac Coro made a big impression of Team USA as being one of the hardest workers there. Uh, it, it, it's basically been reported that his work ethic rivals that of Sexton. So uh, you look at how good he is defensively as a rookie and, and the assignments that he's getting, and you factor in that work ethic of, hey, if he just adds a handle, and if he continues to improve the the mechanics on his jump shot, they might have something here. They're like, they, they might have a guy that goes through the same kind of growth patterns that we saw with Jalen Brown. I, I wouldn't assign that to him just yet, but I understand kind of the thought process of, hey, he could be that kind of a guy. Um, but, yeah, they're betting on guys that already have relationships off the floor. Uh, Garland, Sexton, Okoro, these guys all have relationships with one another through Team USA, uh, Atlanta basketball for Sexton and and Okoro, and if you draft guys that are already buddies off the court, they don't all have to leave to Miami to team up, and I I think that's a, a really good sign for the future if these guys do ultimately pan out, and you know what? They might not. Like, it's it's one of those things where there's no certainties, but it feels like a smart gamble and it feels like um, a, a smart process, which is all you can really ask for.
0: No, for sure. I saw him. Um, they were in, in January, early January. And I was like, Oh, this guy is, he's onto something now. Um, so it's uh, it, it's going to be a fun couple seasons. I think in Cleveland, Justin, I really appreciate the time. Um, I've taken up far too much of your time. Hopefully you have time <laughs> to eat some lunch before you got to go back to work. He's Justin Rowan. Uh, Chased on podcast at Cavs Canada, banana uh, on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Make sure you check out all of his stuff uh, with the Chased on podcast. Justin, thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Okay, Jake, thank you so much for having me, man. Absolutely, there he is, Justin Rowan. Jake Chapman here with you. Follow me on Twitter as well. It's at Jake Chapman O M. I'm back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Until then, stay safe, everybody.